0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why don't you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning.
2: And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Medicare annual
1: election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet
0: Larry, he likes doing things online.
2: On today's show, we're reviewing the first episode of HBO's Watchmen. And then, of course, we are talking about that Rise of Skywalker trailer. Then we're going to have a money conversation because, yeah, budge has gone wild for sure. Hello, hello, and welcome to Collider Movie Talk. We've got Coy and Silas on the panel today and a lot of interesting things to discuss, some of which we're going to highlight in the call sheet right now. Kicking it off with, yeah, those really expensive movies. The first one we're going to talk about here is Gemini Man. And apparently this could amount to a staggering loss of at least $75 million. Apparently the budget amounted to a reported $140 million, and that doesn't even include additional marketing expenses of approximately... $100 million. The good thing about this situation is that there are four production and distribution companies involved, so no one's going to have to shoulder that loss alone. Similarly, even after opening up at number one at the box office last weekend, Maleficent Mistress of Evil could still be a loss for Disney in the end. This one had a budget of $185 million and a considerable marketing price tag. The movie's international gross of $117 million does help the situation. But between the hefty production budget and the marketing costs, it'll have to grab at least $475 million worldwide to break even. And that's almost the entire international gross of the 2014 original. Moving on over now to a Fantastic Beast update. Oh, this movie's still happening. According to ComicBook.com, while at LeakyCon, Fantastic Beast star Dan Fogler revealed when Fantastic Beast 3 is going to start filming. Here's what he said. We haven't started filming. Filming yet. We start in February. Last we heard JK Rowling. She's been writing furiously. Everyone was really happy with what she submitted, and we're all just waiting for the new script. And that's where we're at. Fantastic Beast 3 is scheduled to arrive in theaters on November 12th, 2021. Moving on now. Yeah, the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Do I have to tee this up for you at all? Hang tight. We are going to break this down on today's show. And similarly, we're going to dig into uh, Watchmen season one, episode one, right here on the show. But before we get to that review, why don't you check out a little chat we had with Damon Lindelof?
1: One of the things that I think makes the uh, makes the original Watchmen endure is that it was a complete story, uh, beginning, middle and end over the course of those 12 issues. And when I finished reading the 12 issue, the 12th issue, of course I wanted, wanted more because I loved it so much, but I also felt like a sense of, of, of completedness. And I want the audience to have the same sense watching, watching, uh, um, these nine uh, episodes. And this is spoiler free, which is, um, that Jeremy Irons is sort of kind of in his own show, um, inside of the show of, of Watchmen. Now they're, they're, they're on parallel tracks and eventually those tracks will come smashing into one another. I promise that. But, um, we shot all of Jeremy's work in Wales um, and it needed to be completed before the weather turned. And so the first thing that we all wrote as writers were nine episodes worth of material for Jeremy irons. Um, so we had to have a real plan in motion for how that would weave in with the other story. Cause we wrote all that and we shot that first up. Um, and so before we wrote episode two, we wrote all of Jeremy's work, episodes t- 2 through 9. You know, a big part of 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 the original Watchmen and the the way that I like to to tell stories and watch stories is what's the pace at which you answer questions and resolve mysteries. And again, that's an imperfect science. I've I've learned over time um that it's that it's not an exact science, but so we knew the answers to the a lot of the questions that the show is asking, but are we going to answer them in episode six? Are we going to answer them in episode eight? Maybe we do this one in episode seven. But to answer your question, there's some stuff that could only happen in the finale. So I think that we knew more about how the, the season was going to end and than we did about some of the things that were happening in epi- in the range of episodes, sort of like five through eight.
2: All right, I have to introduce my panelists right now, Koi and Silas. Hi, guys. Hey. We've got a good lineup today. I got you my know, voice back. I'm so for the I'm most so part. relieved you're feeling better. For Dark some, days. For some, I feel guilty whenever anybody feels sick because I never want anyone to feel anything bad, but particularly you, just because you are always at. An 11, and when something's stopping you from getting to that point, I get a little scared. I was,
3: like, operating at a 4, which is, I think, how most people operate in the mornings. And it was just... It was really sad to watch it back and to see, like, the... (laughs) And I was sick for like three weeks Like When, I, when we went to that screening I, was yeah, I know. It, it like carried on I'm still like a little feverish but better And now I'm ready to talk okay. I'm ready <laughs> to
2: talk Hope you're happy to be sitting next to Koi Silas oh, yeah. We no. are all going to survive all. <laughs> It's going to be fine And be fine. In case anybody out there is wondering Why we are reviewing Watchmen on this show It's because I mean really What content out there right now Isn't cinematic And it's also one of the hottest topics out there Who knows how far this show could take HBO, especially after Game of Thrones came to an end. So it does feel important to get some coverage on Collider Movie Talk, on Collider Video. So you know what, we're going to review Watchmen, season one, episode one, right now. And I'm just going to start with a simple question, guys: What did you guys think? Did episode one meet your hopes and expectations for this adaptation?
3: I'm obsessed. Uh, I reread the entire series as I do at least once a year, but in this case I had a reason to do it at the timing I did, which I love. Uh, and it lives in the world of Watchmen so seamlessly, so beautifully, and it doesn't feel like it's pandering. I like that it feels like the world, but years later. I love that they went with the, the comic books ending. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the show mm-hmm. makes it very clear it's not following. I love the movie. I think Zack Snyder's Watchmen is one of the best adaptations of all time, but... I personally, I love the comic book endings. But I love that the show is very clear about following the comic and the the symbolism, the use of circles, the use of smiley faces, the use of splatter in, in a moment. There's so much beautiful iconography, but also more importantly, the way the characters interact with each other, the psychology of the characters, the world building of the characters. There's so much that's Watchmen and detail oriented, plus Damon Lindelof's mystery box. Like I, the whole time I was like, am I really dumb or really smart? And I really <laughs> like when shows do that to me. I like when I go like, I'm second guessing, everything I thought I knew about being smart. Uh, and I also did an episode of Comic Book track with Damon, which made me also do that in person. He's a mystery box. He's delightful. Um, so the show was everything I wanted and more. I've seen the first four episodes. It only gets better. And uh, Black Wall Street, I don't know how it's not a bigger topic. Um, I knew about it beforehand because of like it's a really big part of hip-hop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Wall Street is a really big uh element within underground hip hop. So I thought the Tulsa Massacre was a way more common. And now to see it on Twitter, like we didn't know this happened, I'm so glad something in this pop culture medium can tell something that's so horrific and so important and so unfortunately timely. And Watchmen is always good at shining a light on our darkness. Watchmen is always a great mirror to the things we're doing wrong as a society. And the show is doing that in spades.
2: Alright, Silas, you big you big into this? Yeah,
0: I was I was really impressed with it. And I I I am somebody that, like, um, years ago—I mean, ten years ago—was like, "Don't make Watchmen into a movie, <laughs> and don't make Watchmen into a TV series, don't make more Watchmen comic books." And they did all of those things. Uh, <laughs> and it, there's something infuriating about the the idea of like, well, we need it needs to be a pop culture brand for people to pay attention. But I also think that that's very much part of the story of Watchmen that the, these people take on these pop identities. Uh, and that there is a dark side to it. And I, I can't wait to see how the show sort of have a few episodes and then be able to comment on itself uh, hmm. is really cool.
2: Yeah, after one episode, I'm super into it. Watchmen, the the movie, the Zack Snyder movie, was actually one of the very first times that I did a deep dive while being in this career trying to prep for a movie went and read the graphic novel I got to meet uh, Clay Enos and it was just the greatest thing in the world and he signed my EW cover and everything so I have very fond memories of that movie and then also reading the graphic novel for the first time but I feel really far removed from it right now so one of my favorite things about watching the uh, the first episode of the show is that it feels like it could stand on its own two feet but it encouraged me to go Back and read to go back and read for the stuff that I love that Zack Snyder adapted a certain mm-hmm. way, but also for the things that he chose not to adapt. That now we're gonna get into a little more. And I think one of two of the most striking things. All right, three. Sorry, I'm going <laughs> on and on. All right, one Regina King. Yeah, of course. Because she's incredible. She's incredible. I haven't seen as far into the show as you have, Coy, but I imagine she's gonna become more Spoiling and more alert, of a powerhouse. Stays incredible. <laughs> I had a feeling the visuals here are astonishingly good you could look at almost every single frame of this and there's just so many layers to it everything is so perfectly orchestrated and there are so many little visual cues even being as far removed from the graphic novel as i am mm-hmm. there's so many little things that i spotted and it's like it's incredible how you you could not think of something for 10 years and all of a sudden that light bulb goes off again and you're like oh gotta go revisit that now yeah and the score the score in this is just something else. Oh, I wish I had my notes here. Um, I had written down a couple of times where, where I think one of the ones was the opening sequence, uh, just where, where it's so like foreboding yeah. and vicious and unsettling and, I I was really blown away by a lot of the technical aspects as well. I also
3: enjoyed, like you were talking of, uh, how it reflects itself and how later on the show can reflect itself. I really liked some of the superhero iconography, like the the use of the Superman myth with the young boy. Mm -hmm. Like he was a a boy lost in a field, and that made me feel that way. And like the I like that they have the the hooded. I forgot what the Uh, hangman's character's name is right now. I, I like the the use of the characters from the comic that we haven't really seen extrapolated out but used so cleverly in the past and it makes you feel like you're living in like side missions of watchmen without feeling like you're portraying alan moore's original concept and i i've been so impressed with what damon lindelof has done because of how much he loves it like he, he credits this as informing a lot of his entire career informing lost informing the leftovers so i was a little worried that he loved it so much it would just feel like what we'd already seen, but as a show. And instead, he took an entirely different take, an entirely different time, entirely different commentary, but it all feels important and timely and and right. Uh, I I didn't think we could really top some of the other shows we've had superhero stuff, but this has got to be in my top five, and it might be number one. It's so good.
2: So after the explosive opening for the show, I think the, the stat was that it's HBO's biggest series premiere since Westworld. Yeah. Do you think that this has the potential to go on to fill the Game of Thrones void? Because, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what the HBO folks are thinking to a degree. And I mean, on top of that, on top of it just being a big success for them as a company from a business perspective... I'm kind of at this I know it's getting a little ahead of myself after only watching one episode but I I miss the event. I I miss the you know the Sunday night event programming where my entire Twitter feed turns into a big fandom for a particular property and I want this right now to be that to fill the Game of Thrones void in that respect. Do you think it's going to happen?
0: I, there are things about Game of Thrones that I hope it doesn't fill. Uh like I I would rather be able to sit down and just watch every episode of Watchmen back-to-back and then discuss it. And I, I understand that it's going to be – oh, it, it airs one episode and then everybody discusses it, which is great because obviously there's like an educational side that is happening, which is incredible, that people are learning about things they didn't know about. But I, I, I personally would rather just experience it all for myself and then go and see everything broken down.
2: I no, it's a. I mean, it's a fair point. I feel like that stance can be taken with just about anything that warrants like a million and one theory articles after you've watched. I mean, I'm going through the same thing with American Horror Story where I feel like sometimes I appreciate seasons a little more. It, it's weird because I'm caught in the middle with American Horror Story. I love taking part in that fandom. I love the speculation game. I have so much fun hearing everybody's wild theories, trying to think of my own. But I feel like a binge watch serves the content better when you take out all that mystery and I could just feel the flow mm. of the story and all the things slowly being revealed. I think Watchmen for me, having binged a little, uh, I
3: like the conversation. It's actually why I stopped at four. I have one through six and I stopped at four for now because I, I want to uh, What's the What's it. the grand total? uh
2: nine
3: nine so i want to experience it week to week personally because i like the sunday aspect of the the, the giant swell. like i watched breaking bad from the pilot and it was really weird when all of a sudden when it went to netflix everyone was talking about it because it had been like this little secret like it was this strange little like we all had this show we all watched, and then the the swelling of twitter and netflix i want this personally to be the game of thrones for comic book fans because the fantasy folk have a different Uh, corner of of twitter than the comic folk and i don't feel like we've had a non-binge comic book show to this level yet because legion has its Mm -hmm. its niche and and all these other shows but netflix you can watch it all at once and then you've got that conversation it's been a while since we've had a week-to-week show so i think that if there's going to be one this is the move because this and legion are really similar but i feel like this is a little broader than legion
0: it's i I was thinking about this and and thinking about the comic and it's sort of I'm not old enough to have read Watchmen on the newsstands and have experienced it over, I guess, an entire year as it came out. Uh, so when I think of Watchmen, I think of the graphic novel as a full twelve issues. Sure. Um, so I, I am curious, somebody that did read Watchmen month to month, uh, how, how mm-hmm. that changes their interpretation. That's of fair. It.
2: Well, we're going to I don't know, maybe we will cover this again, maybe at the end of this, maybe at the end of the season or something. But leave the door open for all forms of storytelling, because that's our plan here on Collider Movie Talk. All right, guys, ready to move on to the next. This is a big story. <laughs> it's like, where else do I start? But just Star Wars, the Rise of Skywalker trailer, the final trailer, mm-hmm. I believe. Do did you like it? I mean, because we're all going to go see the movie. We didn't need another trailer to get us more hyped. But did this trailer do anything to make you even more excited for the final film?
0: Yes and no. Um, Like, it's nice to have a reminder that the last film is coming. In a way, I almost wish the trailers had switched. I feel like the teaser trailer was more of a like, oh, my God, what's going to happen in this one? Whereas this was like, oh, yeah, there's another Star Wars coming. And I'm very much looking forward to this.
2: It didn't move you. I think the thing that got me more so than anything wasn't you know, it's like this this trailer didn't have a palpatine reveal. It didn't have a dark ray reveal. It was more so just, you know, showing the future while actively paying homage to the past and with the swell of the familiar theme music it's just like all my star wars emotions kind of bubbled over and i feel like that that's the value of a trailer like this and that actually i think it did up my excitement i didn't think it could get any higher than it was but i don't know i walked away from watching the trailer the first the second the third the fourth time like really like just feeling feeling a lot and I think that's a big accomplishment in addition to maybe sparking a conversation with why why are we getting dark ray or something like that for me the d23
3: footage was the most exciting footage we've had yet uh the the lightsaber moment was amongst my like whoa of any star <laughs> wars ever so for me it was really hard to follow that but this did play to my nostalgia really well uh the music it, it, you can't hear star if you're a movie fan I think you can't hear stars at least feeling something. Yeah. So it was really cool to have that like audaciously loud. I didn't watch it for like an hour and a half after it dropped. Cause I was waiting to watch it on my TV instead of my phone. So I like was patient until I got home to like watch it properly. And I'm so glad I did because there's so much cinema in this trailer. There's so much power and bravado and, to be to be fair, I'm really excited for this lineage of Star Wars to end so I can move on and meet new characters and we can expand the universe. So it was really nice to have a final trailer that ended with Carrie Fisher. I love that the last line was Carrie. I love that this feels like a conclusion. I love that we're like meeting the end of the road with these characters so we can meet other corners of a galaxy far, yeah. far away. We've We've lived in this corner for a while. So it was really nice to be acknowledging it was ending and using nostalgia for that as the move. Fair
2: feeling. Fair feeling. All right. So at this point in time, do you guys have any new theories, things that we haven't discussed? Did this trailer bring anything new to your mind? Not so much.
0: And I think that's one of the things about the trailer that was was both nice to see from a trailer because I hate trailers that give too much away, but also Mm -hmm. like slightly underwhelming for me was – there's not a lot more in this. Um, there are some amazing shots. There's some cinematography that is like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful looking movie no matter what. Um,
2: Even the C-3PO stuff didn't feel like a, like an, oh, it's a new thing. Like what could his involvement be in the story? I
0: don't love the C-3PO bit. I saw, somebody pointed this out on Twitter and I think it's true that C-3PO hasn't had scenes with these characters in this room. Um, and, you know, it's sort of the bigger problem I have. I, I, when, when, by the time the movie is almost out, I know I'm going to be crazy excited and I'm sure I'm going to like it. Uh, but it feels so quick. We met most of these characters four years ago. Mm-hmm. That's not a huge amount of time to feel like this giant story is coming to an end. Um, it, it, we have had a Star Wars movie every other December and in between that, extra Star Wars movies. Uh, and we know it's not ending. <laughs> To, to me, it was
3: the end of the, the for Carrie Fisher's line. That's why it feels like the ending to me, because we did just meet all these new characters very recently. So it's not about their story ending. I feel like it's the Skywalker story ending. So that was how I was watching the trailer, was looking for those details. Um, I love, uh, you know, Poe Dameron. I love I love Kylo Ren. I love all those characters, but they're new. So I, I agree with some of what you're saying. But I think no matter what, there's something so special about just the sound of a lightsaber. Just the sound yeah. of a, a a speeder. Just or what are they? Uh, speedster.
2: What are those? pew through there's return the man, there's many of them you know?
3: star Ooh, wars next sounds wing, a tie Fighter? i don't a, know how about some star wars ships? i'm just gonna name but every ship the visual like the the imperial ship rising through the the, the earth that moment i for some reason the ship I, shots always get me. i
2: have a weird obsession with imperial and first order imagery it's it's like every single time you get a shot of like one gigantic ship or a whole fleet of them i i freak out for some reason
3: i just always forget that ship implies space and land so whenever they're in space I'm like that makes sense and then they go underwater i like they can go underwater
2: well, i actually was watching one video that pointed out that um i forget now i'm mad at myself that i can't credit who brought this up that in all of star wars you very rarely see something lift off which uh, might be why that you know catches you off yeah. hard, or at least not in the original trilogy in the original tr- trilogy everything is already you know in space hover, mo- hover mode hover it- mode on string <laughs> sure
0: I-, I was like personally thinking of the enterprise in star trek into darkness which also rises up from underneath the water mm-hmm. in a jj abrams film and did not make
3: me excited. All right. It gave me all the feels. It it did a... It played the exact strings it's supposed to. Like, there's a, if there's a piano, there's certain keys that are Star Wars. And it was like, yeah, that's right. So I was happy.
2: Did, did the trailer change your mind at all in regards to what this is going to mean for Ray and Kylo? Because of all things, that felt like that was at the heart of this for me. I mean, especially when you go to the, this isn't the exact line, but where Ray says something to the effect of, you know, people think they know me. Like, I don't necessarily think that that's going down the path of, like, people think they know me because they really do, in reality, know my parents. I don't think that's what she's getting at. I think it's more of a matter of, you know, people know my journey through what happened before me, and now they think they know where I fit in and what I'm capable of, and this is going to be her defying that.
0: Or there's a bunch of rays, and people have met other rays, and one of those rays is a dark ray. No,
2: I'm very much against (laughs) the clone thing. I, I don't think that's happening. I don't think Star Wars would take—I don't think Star Wars, the film franchise, trying to capture, you know, the the imagination and attention of, like, a worldwide moving going public is going to get into the clone stuff. But they have.
0: And the villain, the Emperor, they, they literally have, took over not- the galaxy with a clone army. Uh,
2: not in the same not in, it's not the same way though i feel like building a clone army versus taking your brand new lead that you introduced however what the 2014 for 2015 i feel like that's a different thing uh uh-huh. there's something
0: that I, I love about star wars in like a meta sense about the story sort of keeps going um like it, it repeats itself it's it's like the joseph campbell uh like hero's journey mm-hmm. and there is a way i think you could tie clones to that <laughs> okay. where it's sort of like Ray is the like prototypical like Luke Skywalker hero, but if there were a bunch of them, they might go through similar journeys, and the effect they would have on the universe would have like a so harmony. So, do you in the think Force. the
2: Dark Ray thing is like another Ray or more of a vision?
0: I don't know. I I I, I could see it being another Ray. The potential for it being awful. Uh, if it's a vision, you're you're probably safe. Uh,
3: I'm only in because two of the leads are named Ben and Ray, so it's close to Ben Riley. The Scarlet Spider, clone of Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, now, I think what they're going to do is have the maybe bait and switch of her might be being bad. And obviously Ben looks like he's – Kylo Ren looks like he's good in this movie and we're going to have him get his redemption and like, you know, some really thick water scenes with Ray. Uh, I, I mean with Kylo Ren. I think it's going to be a really clean movie. I think it's not going to have a lot of twists. I think it's going to be J.J. Abrams making a movie that's going to make a lot of people happy because a lot of people are mad. And I am very excited for people that have been mad to be happy – And people that love The Last Jedi to get to watch it again, like myself. I'm very excited to watch The Last Jedi again. I like twists and turns. I don't think this one's gonna have a lot of them. I think it's gonna be settling things down more than uprooting things. I,
2: I Would agree with that. Wait, going back to the clone thing really quick. So if Ray clone is on the table, do you think Palpatine clone is on the table too? Well,
0: oh, I mean, you could go all out. You could have Luke clone and Leia clone and Mace Windu clone and Yoda right, clone. now we're getting a little carried And away. you could have an army of dark <laughs> Jedi of every Jedi people like now has a dark version, which is... Twice as many action figures. To buy.
2: That sounds absolutely ridiculous, but the further you got into that and the more I pictured it, I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of cool.
3: Two and a half hours. <laughs> You'll see what happens. All right.
2: Wait, wait. We got to settle something right now. I brought it up to you guys. All right. We made it. I made a little bet with Christian on Jedi Council that Palpatine would not be in this trailer. And I, I really don't want to be a sore loser, but I also don't want to go back and word for word re listen to exactly what I said. Do you, do you, count what happened in this trailer as as a physical palpatine cameo because we get the voiceover and then we get like a teeny tiny sliver of his cloak if that counts or do we even know that we don't know that's, that's
3: his cloak so
2: i don't who... think he's in this trailer so who wins the bet or is the bet still still active until it's confirmed that that was someone indeed... will confirm it
0: i, I think I, I think very technically you have to wait and see if that cloak is actually him.
2: I truly do not want to be a sore loser. Whenever I lose a bet, I do pay up, but this also feels like a really cheap win at this point. I would say <laughs> December
3: 19th, you wait, because it comes out the 20th, which means okay. the 19th, we can watch it. We look to what that cloak was, and if it was his cloak, then that's him being in the trailer. And I don't think a voice should count. So I think the cloak tells all.
2: Well, part of the discussion was that I thought, if anything, you know, a voice, or or something that that insinuates his presence True. was going to be there but we weren't going to see him in the flesh we didn't i don't know i'm I'm very hesitant to go back and start parsing through every word i said but i'm, the, I'm the glad Internet to have had you, you had you weigh in i know they don't uh, worry the it's already dead. been happening this morning but i feel like too many people are giving him the win and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a real win to me i would admit it if it did but it doesn't doesn't feel right
3: <laughs> i didn't see him in the trailer i think you're good
2: all right. Well, of course, says so. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta push pause on that pokeball. Push pause on the pokeball <laughs> until Poke December. Balls? That's well. That's what we bet. A Pokeball? Oh, oh all right. So we're talking we about it. every here. single time I say Pokeball, someone thinks I say Pokeball. Yeah, no, I was like, what, what, No, what, like the what food, the food. Oh, oh. I went
3: Pokeball and then I went like <laughs> Scorpion Bowl for some reason. And then, okay. Wait, what? I thought like a drinking contest. Scorpion? Was oh, like My a brain, drink. Yeah. Like, I don't know oh. why. Alcoholism.
2: Why I, don't I don't know. I left it, there. If Christian okays it, I'll switch it from That's the Poke boat. poke. Bowl. bowl now i'm like gonna i em- think anytime you can make something alcoholic as a
0: bet, you do why yeah, isn't there a so restaurant <laughs> that combines them is
2: just poke swimming in a scorpion bowl Poke, poke, jeez, poke balls poke bowls and scorpion bowls the tangent leaps are strong let's make a food truck with that
3: all right guys all right let's deal while we
2: brainstorm that idea a little further how about we show you about all this great content we have coming to the collider video youtube channel like this stuff Hi, I'm Amy Dallin, one of the hosts of Collider Heroes. And starting right now, you can catch our show Tuesday nights with a new Collider Heroes and a longer Collider Heroes podcast where Koi and I are going to talk your ears off. You already know that's coming. So make sure to go to YouTube, subscribe, and find us on the Collider Heroes podcast feed for all of that sweaty goodness.
3: Hey everyone, John Rocha here, the host of Collider Mailbag. A new episode drops every Saturday and Sunday in your face and in your ears, answering the questions from you fans about the world of entertainment, film, and television. Me and great guests from our sphere do the best to answer your questions from Twitter, from Instagram, and of course, email
0: as well, every Saturday and Sunday.
2: Am I saying Pokey Bowl or Pokeball? You don't know. <laughs> I'm going to leave it up to you. Put it in the comment section below. Which one did I say? I don't know. All right. Let's talk about the next thing. Budgets. Big spending on movies. So as we teased earlier in the show, they spent a good deal of money on Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and also Gemini Man. I think one of those movies is in better shape than the other as far as, you know, getting into the black goes. But I kind of wanted to pose the bigger question of just – in general, how much is too much to spend on a movie? Do you kind of, unless you're, let's say, you know, maybe a huge DC Marvel or Star Wars movie, do you dig yourself such a big hole that the odds of getting out of it are so slim that it's not even worth spending all that money to begin with?
3: I think you should look at the franchise's history. I think if you're a new franchise, you should be careful on your first one. If you have a history of nearing a billion dollars, you're probably a little more okay. But I don't see that happening. I mean, it happens more and more often because movie tickets are more and more money and, like, you know, the whole adjusted for inflation thing is really tricky. Uh But, like, the, the Scorsese Coppola problem with spectacle movies being the only thing people go to the movie theater for, it kind of, like, the movie theater is becoming the place for the big presentational films because talkies are okay at home. Like it's okay to watch a drama at home. You get a similar experience. I personally see everything in the theater because I like the community aspect and I like to feel movies. Whether it's Meryl Streep crying as a nun or you know something, I want to experience that with an audience because I think it's the way movies are meant to be. But the average moviegoer doesn't, and I I don't have any magic free ticket. I just use AMC A List. Not a plug, but I'll take one. Um, and it's three times a week, so I can go to the movies three times a week. It's not that crazy to me. So and it's the cost of like one and a half movie tickets. Still sounds like a commercial. Still isn't, but we'll accept the money. And I. <laughs> think that it makes sense to plan that way to see movies but if more and more people aren't then you have to plan when you make your budgets that more and more people aren't if you're only seeing one movie a month if you got to look at what else is coming out that month you got to look at your franchise's history I don't think spending over $200 million on most movies makes sense.
2: So what would have been the justification in your mind for making another Maleficent movie that cost this much or Gemini Man for that matter? Because, you know, whether the idea popped into your head in the case of Maleficent, you know, two years ago or maybe when the first movie came out, I still don't understand why – the expense should have been this high i
3: think maleficent was this very specific case of trying to be bigger than the first one i think it was a very specific we made a big big live action angelina jolie fantasy movie how do we make that bigger because sequel equals bigger and i think that's wrong i think they could have we've actually right before airing we're talking about how uh you know a fish out of water story would have been way more fun i would have the moments i liked in the movie most were her being like "Ah," and scaring children that's a very inexpensive movie that's just angelina jolie and horns so i think that that could have been something different but i think when they wanted all the fae they wanted to escalate the fantasy, they wanted to do all those things, they got carried away, and it got bigger and bigger. Plus, Disney's gotten so many wins, I feel like they're just like, eh, throw some money at it. Like, Ugh. I'm not...
2: What a bad precedent Neither is of them
3: are worried about their own money.
2: That so. makes me sad. Uh, where do you stand on the Silas? Do you cap it at any specific point? I don't
0: think there is an absolute, but I, I do think Maleficent is a perfect example of, like, that movie probably would have been better with a lower budget. Um, there's like the weird Sonic the Hedgehog character subplot <laughs> that... Just doesn't need to be there. <laughs> he looks so expensive, too.
2: She? Was she? It, was it a oh, she? Yeah, she, she? Yeah, because she... I well, misgendered Sonic. Spoiler, <laughs> sorry. she gets with Baby Groot. Oh, I thought that was a gay couple. No, I didn't read it that way. Oh,
3: well, <laughs> I, I one of know. these ways is progressive. <laughs> but yeah, It should
0: have been, like, do father of the bride, but in this world. So, like, the, the charm of that movie is Angelina Jolie and Michelle Pfeiffer playing off one another. And you don't need this like epic game of thrones style like battles it it just the humanity of it works
2: mhm i'm torn because the the epic game of thrones battles like i i kind of liked some of that if i if i could trim any of this movie it would be to cut out the more stuff entirely cuz i hate the look <laughs> of all that to be completely honest but i really do think the uh, it's just You know, it sounds like a silly, uh, a silly twist on it. But Father of the Bride is probably the perfect comparison here because the dinner scene was hands down the most charming part of the movie. And, you know, that also speaks to, I think, another part of the problem with extreme spending with a lot of these movies is I don't think a lot of them warrant it. And I think when you give someone so many resources, it forces you. It doesn't force you, but it doesn't force you to be peak creative like the second mm-hmm. you reduce resources you've got to come up with like a, an innovative idea in order to make the most of what you have and when you know the idea of working with disney is like spend 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 so we can make the biggest thing possible i don't know i, f- I feel like in the end that does hurt things with some exceptions like you know let's say an avengers end game i think it, that's a case where the only way you could bring all those characters together and conclude or, you know, semi conclude that story is with all the money in the world because some of those set pieces cost an insane amount to produce.
3: But I feel like the same with Gemini Man, though, which is another example of trickiness is that movie inherently by its nature requires technology that's expensive. But what, that movie, what it's trying to do is expensive.
2: But going back to what you said earlier, that movie doesn't have a proven franchise that's at its trickiness. back. I feel like that's the point where you got to sit and think. Like you, you need to use your crystal ball and see into the future and say X, Y, and Z proves that this is going to work. Whereas with Gemini Man, I mean, look at a lot of the high frame rate stuff Ang Lee has pursued recently. Mm-hmm. His last few movies were not especially well received and they didn't make a lot of money. And even though Will Smith is the the title character times two in this movie, even look at some of his last releases that aren't tied to a Disney animated classic. I think the writing was all over the wall with Gemini Man that unless that movie was, you know, like an epic best picture contender that everybody across the board loved, I think that that movie was going to be a box office failure.
3: I also think that Angley when he does contained character dramas, is a little stronger than when he does the Hulk. Like, I'll take Brokeback over the Hulk, and I think most people prove that with how they watch those movies. So I think it's a really tricky thing to give Angley and Will Smith, who are both trying to find their way back, a movie that requires that kind of budget. So I'd, I'd agree on Gemini Man that that's not the movie to do it with, except for the movie's technical prowess needing the money. So I don't know what I'd say as far as the studio goes because you look at Mr. Fourth of July and Oscar winner Ang Lee and they want to make a movie that takes a lot of tech. I'm like, here's a barrel of money. Like, I I, I see what happened. I just, I don't know if there's an answer.
2: I know it's not this simple, but just sit down and make a list of pros and cons. I mean, even when I look at Maleficent, think about how much money the first Maleficent made. It made $70 million. It didn't make 150 plus. It didn't create a pop culture phenomenon people went to see it one because it was angelina jolie as maleficent and two because it was one of the first disney live action adaptations mm. you need to kind of set your expectations from there and understand that things are only going to go down from there that doesn't mean spend more in order to make more money and the fact that so many studios out there use that mentality on so many of their projects just I, it, it astounds me and now because i uttered it last week on movie talk i can't get that thought out of my head where it's where it's like we're talking about the hawkeye series spend 200 million dollars on a hawkeye series or make 200 really good potentially independent films i don't know how much
3: you can make a one million dollar film anymore like i i i could see oh you can i i i can't but i I, like well like i i think i think you probably
2: yeah i I feel like we've we've tossed around enough story ideas there's some ideas i got
3: hollywood (laughs) amca list Uh, No, but I think the the problem is inherently that everyone's expectation for these big spectacle films is only growing. I think Maleficent's strength is the Rick Baker makeup, not in the moors. Like, I agree with you. I think its strength is in the practical, but the way that... that kids today want their movies is just so big and so vibrant that we lose a lot of the I heart. think
2: it's the complete opposite. I think that that's what the studios are thinking, and I think they're mm. undervaluing how smart their audiences are. I think deep down, what gets people into the theaters, yeah, maybe it is a spectacle, but a spectacle is not going to work without strong characters and heart and a decent story.
3: I totally And that's legs, though. Like I think that movies make more money over time once name, they're good.
2: Name one movie that came out this year that coasted on spectacle alone, even though... Though, you know, the heart or the core of the story sucked.
3: I don't know.
2: Yeah.
3: No, I, I, the I, Joker? I,
2: <laughs> well, I love the Joker. Uh, yeah. And that movie cost 7 dollars Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah that, that was not a pricey movie. And it made a crazy amount of money. There's a lot of fans, there's a lot of people who didn't like it. It's all fine.
3: YouTube, in the comments. <laughs> like let
2: over there yeah, real quick. <laughs> know a movie, because I, I, I hope you're right. I hope that you, uh, like, I would want character to be first. See, I would think the last answer to my question is Aladdin. probably... Aladdin made a lot
3: of money and was fine.
2: It, but it was fine. It wasn't bad. But you didn't care about the characters. As it wasn't much as in bad. The no, no. But that's comparing two things. I think probably the example that pops into my mind, or the most recent one, is maybe a Transformers movie that made a lot. But even that eventually saw diminishing returns. Sure. I think. I think many moviegoers caught on that. You know, maybe they said this isn't worth my cash because, yeah, I'm going to get gigantic transforming robots fighting, but the story is going to stink.
3: But Aladdin made like a, an exorbitant amount of money. It did. And it wasn't anything. It, like the cartoon was better and the pacing of the cartoon was better. The songs were better. It was. And but it,
2: it also wasn't panned across the board.
3: It wasn't panned, but it didn't need to
0: exist. The thing is now is just cross these movies over. Like Maleficent
3: I, and Aladdin, team Maleficent and Aladdin,
0: Jungle Book, Lion King. None of these have specific time Beauty
2: why, the Why why is this not their next plan? And you know what
0: you call it? kingdom hearts maybe maleficent Make was the, the one hearts. who made the beast in the first place
2: phase. i mean too yeah. on ps2 very very quickly Yeah, though. the first game yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a really good idea though i feel like they should pursue it i meant to look up uh, what the uh, yearly box office is like just to see you know what made the most but what was i'm not talking about you know something that got mixed reviews i mean like something that was completely destroyed
3: well, adam sandler hasn't had a comedy this year he had one on Netflix. Well, yeah, Netflix. But I mean. <laughs> like, those were the movies that were like making and it. And also, and then, like... who
2: knows? Adam Sandler could have an Oscar nomination in his future, in I his very near Adam future with Uncut I Gems. Possibly say. I mean, really, there's actually not all that much on this list that I think was panned and is in. I'm scrolling down to the top 20 at the box office right now. I mean, even Dumbo. You know, I didn't love Dumbo, but Dumbo certainly wasn't hated across the board. Wasn't loved, though.
0: I I like how weird Dumbo was. I think Dumbo was my favorite live action Disney. Really? Yeah.
2: (laughs) I like the Michael Keaton Tim Burton scenes because
3: it was like those scenes, but that was that was few and far. Here it is. I've got the first.
2: I've got the first one that you know sets off the uh, the radar a little. Number thirty three thus far for twenty nineteen is Dark Phoenix, which of course cost a good deal to make, ran into a whole bunch of problems, and right now sits at two hundred fifty two million worldwide.
3: Uh, Which it won't clear. I mean, that's still like a hundred in the in the. The whole, like the must be, because that movie costs two plus, and then reshoots, and then marketing. But yeah, so I mean, we'll see, but I I like the idea that characters are first and then Spectacle is second. I just think they're selling the movies on Spectacle first, so therefore that first weekend's a lot of Spectacle-based money. All we'll right, see. all we'll right.
2: We'll see. We'll see what the trend winds up being in the very near future because spectacle movies are coming at us left and right. All right, let's go to the live chat. So, what do we got here? I feel like we've had this conversation before, but maybe not with the two of you. Charlie Rose two one four asks, "What is uh, your Hogwarts house, and uh, what would you like to be in? Do you guys have one?"
3: I do. Uh, I'm a Slytherin, and I'm happy there. Really. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very kind on air, but I'm very manipulative and cunning when I need to be. I don't, uh, I
2: don't believe that, but maybe that's the, the powers that you have at it's work. The, it's,
3: the, it's the, yeah, huh. the public persona. I'm never going to
2: look at you the same way I again. just,
3: yeah, I'm, I'm, a proud Slytherin.
2: <laughs> what are you?
3: I'm a Gryffindor. Okay. Um, I believe that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the jacket and everything, the body poster, all of that was like, correct. <laughs> yeah. I, uh,
0: you know, I, I've been sorted a couple times and every time it's been Gryffindor, which has made me really happy. I, I went to Emerson college in Boston and our colors were the same as the Gryffindor house colors. And our symbol was a lion. So
3: dude, uh, I lived in Piano Row for four months. we oh, never wow. had this conversation <laughs> to be to
2: be continued. <laughs> oh, what about you? I'm not good with this. I always just wait for someone else to tell me what I'm in. <laughs> I see like a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the house Roka's in? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be with Roka. <laughs> I wanna I, I wanna I battle. Like how I want I to battle Roka on the Quidditch because <laughs> that's that's what I would if I went to Hogwarts, I would be on the Quidditch team and that would be my life.
3: I like that. Okay. I'm also, I'm also, I think I'm proud of being a Slytherin because it's the last thing people expect, which I think is very Slytherin of me. I think that, like, that is also my favorite little, like, secret okay. identity.
2: See, I think what, what you value in terms of a Hogwarts house would make me a problematic student at Hogwarts, where I feel like mm. I have qualities that suit every house, so I would be, like, super stressed that I was in the wrong one. Oh, I can, can see you that. can you move houses in Hogwarts? Like, what if year one I decide, nope, Ravenclaw is not the right place for me? Can I transfer? To Gryffindor
3: I think once you're in you're in because even even like asking the the hat is kind of like this a feels phone. like the, the hat like, wouldn't have made a this is, yeah this is
2: how someone turns evil at Hogwarts I was put in the wrong house <laughs> that's, your origin story or is going you just, like live in the basement or something your origin story is you being
3: disagreeable <laughs> about the ethics of a house that's Probably. how you turn villain yep
2: all right that's gonna be a really maybe that would maybe that internal struggle would be better than Fantastic Beasts 3 Perry and it would Neveroff be, it would be cheaper to make too <laughs> all right let's get this Question from Luke Nelson, who wants to know what other properties would you like to see given a sequel series treatment similar to Watchmen? I'd love to see a series set in the Blade Runner world. I like that answer. That's a great, That's a great answer.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, just thinking of comic books, uh, Sandman is the one that mm. like. I I was even saying... Is that
2: ever going to happen? I feel like we've been covering a potential Sandman adaptation since the day I started working in this industry.
0: I mean, like, I I remember them trying to make the movie and they were like, well, you can't... It's too big. You can't tell it. And in a way, it's like, well, you sort of can't tell a story that isn't a Sandman story uh, just because it's about a character who is Dream. Um, So any, any story you're telling belongs to Dream.
3: Uh... I think Sandman with in a post world could exist. I think after this this is doing as well as it is, they'll, they'll take chances that they need to make. So esoterically, uh, I'd say the Matrix. I'd love to live in the world of the Matrix and a long form storytelling. I'd love to see like other aspects of it, especially the world they were trying to build. Uh, they definitely Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions didn't stick the landing, but I liked the ideas in there. Um, I want to see Fables. I don't know if you ever read oh, Fables. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Fables be a great TV show. Uh, they kind of stole it for that ABC show, the, the Disney oh, Once Upon off. a Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, they literally bought the rights and then made that show. Right. They so, were
0: developing it, and then all of a sudden, they're like, No, we're doing our own idea. Oh, we're That's doing exactly this. Exactly the same
3: very subtle abc uh but i think that uh fables would be really fantastic as a show and i also think uh what is another comic book show i'd love to see blade just hunting vampires uh-huh. week to week hmm. i know they did a sticky finger show but i think now is the time well
2: not a not a comic book adaptation but i would probably say at this point in time i'd rather see a jurassic series I
3: Think that budget rather
2: than that? the content I, I i can't stop thinking about the short they released so but it it really is. It's that good. And I know that must be an expensive series to keep producing, but I mean, actually it's another example that goes back to the budget conversation. I think that's an example of making the most of of less, having less Mm. than maybe a, a feature film would warrant. And I don't know. I think that's where the creative juices really get flowing. And you know, we're going to get Jurassic World 3, obviously, and I have a feeling that is going to be a big epic with dinosaurs. It takes place in so many different locations, but I would love to see just what, you know, the average Joe is doing while dinosaurs roam the earth, or while someone's trying to plan a trip to Jurassic World, or something along those lines, or even maybe a new version of Jurassic Park from the perspective of an employee who is still there, and we didn't no,
0: there is a uh, a book they released. There was a tie-in to the last Jurassic Park film, um, and it is about uh, Claire Deering, but oh. having just been hired at Jurassic World.
1: <laughs> What's the camera on there? So it's like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's like her experience is going to work at Jurassic World, but nothing is wrong. Like nothing has gone wrong. It's just working in a a park with dinosaurs. Is it
2: interesting at all? I I I find I love as much as I love Bryce Dallas Howard. I find that character to be one of the least interesting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I
3: would love a pulpy noir kiss kiss bang bang series i'd love mm-hmm. to see long form shane black i'd like to see like weekly detective stories like the dime store novels but every week so you have a different mystery that's solved through the hijinks and fourth wall breaking of kiss kiss bang bang like that self-referential humor every week because we don't have a lot like that on tv right now and the things we do have that on tv and right are all doing really well like mrs mazel and fleabag and barry like the things that are like that highbrow comedy that winks at itself i think that shane black should go to tv and i'd yeah. like to see i think kiss uh, kiss
2: i would watch that too yeah all right Let's try to get one more. This is a really hard question. Okay. Like, you're really going to have to think about this. Lau is asking us, what is your favorite movie montage, apart from any of the obvious ones? It's funny. I was just thinking about this recently because I saw a movie that I can't talk about that had, like, too many montages. It leaned into it way too hard. And it's frustrating to me because I think the, the movie montage, like, the montage scene device. Can be used because, you know, it's almost like inherently effective. The second Mm -hmm. you have a quick cutting montage, you know, powered by, you know, uh, a a catchy song or maybe even a pop culture song, it automatically ups the energy of a movie. But when you do them too many times and you don't earn them, it feels like you're being cheated. Let's see if somebody in a couple of weeks can backtrack and figure out what movie I'm talking (laughs) about.
3: (laughs) uh i love the montage in fight club where they're setting up all the project project mayhem things because it shows you the world building and how much tyler's done while he's been behind the scenes because jack has been in control so long and every time he like isn't in control we aren't with tyler so i think it's a really effective use of world building and like it's really funny mayhem like the 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 stuff they do like all the like the bird crapping in the cars and all the smashing of things and like the i i'm a
0: fight club diehard and the montage and that is
2: Silas, please tell me you have something because all I could think about is this one movie now.
0: <laughs> you know, the, the first thing that pops in my head, it's not even a movie. It's from an X-Files episode. Of course. Um, but th- there's an episode uh, called The Postmodern Prometheus that's like a Frankenstein story that's in black and white. And it ends with this like really, really great just wrap up of everything. And it's set to a share song. Uh, and I i don't know why. I just that's the first thing that pops in my head is something that I, I really, really love.
2: I don't know why this is popping into my mind of all things right now, but the opening of The Purge <laughs> with with the opening credits, just because I remember I, I wound up uh, actually really liking the first Purge. I had a really weird reaction to that movie. I saw it for the first time and I'm like, nope, this is not the movie I was sold. But then when I got over that and I rewatched, I'm like, oh, this is this is basically a high concept paired with a familiar home invasion movie. And I really dug that. But the first time I saw it, my favorite thing was the opening sequence because it showed what was happening with the Purge outside of that one house. And I think that was filling, you know, what I was reaching for in that movie that did that I didn't get mm. in the actual full feature. I don't know why that just popped in my head, though.
0: You know what also had an amazing opening montage was... Uh, Watchmen. Va- v- Valerian. <laughs> I got
2: so excited <laughs> about that. Watchmen, hands down, one of my favorite opening title sequences of all time. Oh, but- when
0: So when the first Watchmen came out, they released those credits online and I, like... Really wanted to New hear York it. <laughs> New York
2: Comic Con 2009. I'll never forget Force. it. It's stunning.
0: <laughs> I really wanted to hear it with uh, the the Bob Dylan song that's from the comics, um, Desolation Row. So I was like, oh, I'll put it in Final Cut and I'll, I'll edit it real quick. And I found myself just making little tweaks, and I stayed up an entire night just to re-edit that footage (laughs) to fit the Bob Dylan song. Do you still have it? Somewhere, yeah. I'll find Uh,
3: it. It's a horrible movie, but you guys just said a comic book movie and a very comic-y movie. A French comic book movie. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine is Mm -hmm. the opening montage of that is the best part of that whole movie when they're going through different wars. And it's Sabertooth and Wolverine fighting side by side, very watchman-like. That entire montage is perfect, and then the movie happens after. But that <laughs> montage is great.
0: I was gonna say Valerian. It's like yeah, I, mean, okay, really I don't know if I actually said it or I got distracted, yeah, but Valerian, yeah, French. I totally agree. Yeah.
3: French comic, and it's a brilliant montage. Recently, El Camino's uh, did you guys see El Camino? Oh yeah. The montage where he's looking for the money. Okay. It's beautiful because it's like that mouse house thing where yeah. they see him out. It's, oh yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It from
2: from overhead. Yeah, and yeah. that's a
3: really unique montage where you have like all the frenetic energy of like That's a good example.
2: I think that montage is. I feel like I'm
0: gonna be thinking about this question for a week and like, <laughs> it's like oh there's so
3: many I
2: didn't think i'm not of. gonna be able to do any of my work today because that's all that i'm montage. gonna be thinking about yeah i mean it's the south
0: park the the montage song in the south park movie was that was that that was not an episode never mind no but they used it again in uh uh team america okay they, they took it from an episode they did it first in a south park episode then they used the same montage song i love, I love a good montage I was a kid
2: and then i didn't keep up with it Every time it's on, though, I can't shut it off.
0: It's been really good this really? season. Yeah.
2: All right. Maybe it's time time I jump back in, but there's so much stuff to watch. Um, I have to keep up with Watchmen, and I have to continue my succession binge watch. That's my plan. I hope you guys have wonderful plans ahead of you for today. I just because... finished The Office. Oh, did you really? For the first time.
3: I watched the, huh. the finale last night. So I am, I That's, a on, a That's a lot of, of watch. It was a lot of TV. It's going off the air. It's going <laughs> off Netflix. Had to finish it before the end of the year. <laughs> the Office is real good TV, guys.
2: What have Spoiler you binged? Alert.
0: What have I binged? Oh, yeah. well, so I, I spent this weekend actually listening to a Star Wars audio novel, uh, oh. the, the Count Dooku, uh, uh Jedi Jedi Lost or something. It, it's like a, a Star Wars book that they made specifically as an audio novel. So mm-hmm. it, it's characters acting out. And I, I just put it on, on Saturday and just listened to it straight through. And it was like six hours.
2: Maybe I'll um, cue that up next. Everyone out there knows how I feel about audio books. I love them. And I have a lot more time running ahead of me. So I need more to listen to. Have you heard
3: Nick Offerman's Paddle Your Own Canoe? No. <gasps> Okay, Nick Offerman wrote a self-help book by way of autobiography and comedy book. It is a book Nick Offerman wrote about being your own person and finding your own gumption and, like, doing all these things, and it's a book about his life that, like, inspires you to be better and do more by building your own canoe, and the audiobook is voiced by Nick Offerman, and that's actually how I found The Office, because I discovered Nick Offerman, the author, because a friend of mine worked with him and said, I worked with this great guy, Nick Offerman, he wrote this book, found the book, then I watched Parks and Rec, he talks about Parks and Rec in it all the time, enjoyed Parks and Rec, realized, hey, I'm Chris Traeger, what a crazy thing to find a Character, that's exactly me. Heard that was very similar to The Office. Then they watched The Office next. So I just finished my two-year-long run from reading the book and then finishing The Office in reverse pop culture order.
2: I might have the same story to tell. It's a good journey. Now, now I kind of want to cue both of these up.
3: I highly recommend it. Read the book, watch Parks and Rec, then watch The okay. Office. It's amazing. And then gotta go
0: back to the British Office. And now we got a good British
3: Office. <laughs> oh, all from reading a piece of literature. And then
2: we never saw Koi again. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for spending your morning with us. Adam in the booth, Dorian in the live chat. Thank you so much as always, and another thanks to everybody out there watching. But you know what? If you want a real wholehearted thanks, you're going to like and share this episode of Movie Talk. And you're also going to head on over to Collider Live because they go live at 10 a.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss their show as well. And you don't want to miss Movie Talk tomorrow, right back here at 9 a.m. Pacific. I'll see you then.
3: All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast?
0: Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's
1: in five seconds. Why do you with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning.